Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day um, to you online. We're so glad you're with us as well. So today we're finishing up a series called I Doubt That as we've been wrestling with and looking at how do we deal with our doubts because they are going to come, they're going to come at different moments in your life and they're going to challenge you as a person and as a follower of Jesus to stay committed to our faith. And and so many times, and this is one of those things, as I said, I've experienced just from talking to people, there's not research backing this, but for most people, doubt does not arise out of an intellectual crisis. It comes from an experiential crisis. Something has happened in our life. We have experienced something. We've gone through a difficult time. Um, Something has happened that has made faith really, really difficult for us, following Jesus, really, really difficult. And sometimes those are doubts of, is God there? Does he exist at all? And sometimes they're doubts of, God, are you even paying attention? Do you see what I'm going through? Can you not have some grace and mercy and help me right now? And then there are the other times when it's more about our obedience, and our ability to trust and follow when things don't make sense. When it's really difficult to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus because we don't understand what tomorrow holds and we don't know what tomorrow looks like. And there is so much fear in that moment. And I think so many times doubt just is masquerading as fear. It's really we're afraid to take the next step because we believe and we know what God is calling us to do, and we're just afraid to do it. You see, at the core of the gospel story is a single word, forgiveness. And in our walk with Christ, there is the importance of His forgiveness in our life. But as His disciples, there is an extreme amount of weight that is placed on our ability to forgive as He has forgiven us. Forgiving other people when they hurt us, when they sin against us, and maybe even forgiving yourself. Sometimes that's the most difficult person to forgive. And throughout Jesus' teaching this underlying idea of forgiveness seems to be the foundation of everything Jesus teaches. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says that you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but he tells them, no, 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 you have to love your enemy, and you can't do that if you can't forgive. Or you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But don't resist an evil person. You can't do that if you don't forgive. And then maybe the, the culmination of it all is Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. He says, Father, forgive us as we have forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not a prayer I am super excited to pray. God, I want you to forgive me in the same way that I forgive other people. God, I want you to forgive me like I forgive. That's not something I'm super excited to pray. 
But it seems like we have lost our ability to imagine a world where forgiveness is a possibility. We've lost our ability to imagine a world where forgiveness is the way the world is supposed to work and is supposed to function. Because we live in a world, and everything within our human nature as well, tells us if someone does something wrong to you, pay them back. Get even. You deserve it. It's owed to you. But it is entirely contrary to the gospel. Because the gospel is simply about forgiveness. It is the good news that Jesus saves. So there's a story of a man in the Old Testament that begins really with his father, a man named Jacob. Jacob is one of the Jewish patriarchs. He has 12 sons. One of his sons is named Joseph. And Joseph was his father Jacob's favorite child. He would use him to check on his brothers to see how they were doing, see if they were doing what they were supposed to do, to see if they were working, to really kind of be a tattletale. He set him up. He gave him a coat, and he really took care of him, it seems, more than his other brothers, and his other brothers hated him for that. One day, Jacob sent Joseph out into the fields to check on his brothers, to give a report of how they were doing in their job. And when the brothers saw Joseph coming, they realized this was the greatest opportunity of their life, to rid themselves of their problem. And they talk with each other as they see Joseph approaching, and they say, this is is the perfect day. Today, we're going to get rid of the problem. Today, we're going to kill our brother Joseph. And so they get him, they throw him into a cistern, and they wait, they try to plot and figure it out. And then Judah, one of Jacob's other sons, has this great idea. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh. They were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. And so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And so Joseph is escorted off. He's taken to Egypt. He's sold to a man named Potiphar who is the captain of the guard. He is one of Pharaoh's officials. He is a powerful man. And now Joseph is his slave. But the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. And he begins to flourish. And we can say, well, that's great. He's starting to flourish and God's using this. But is a slave really the place that you want to flourish? Is that the place you really want to say, well, I'm doing good. God's taking care of me. He is a slave. But Potiphar takes notice of him. And he begins to put more and more things in charge of Joseph's care. And then Miss Potiphar 
comes along. And she notices that Joseph is well-built and handsome. It is a curse some of us face. And she says to Joseph, come to bed with me. And Joseph refuses. He says, no, my master has put everything in my care. But Mrs. Potiphar persists. And day after day, she comes to Joseph and asks Joseph to sleep with her. Until one day, one day when he went into the house to attend to his duties, none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And she devises this plan. She waits till Potiphar comes home and she says, hey, this servant that you brought here to me tried to sleep with me. And when I screamed, he left his cloak right here beside me and ran out of the house. What are you going to do? And Potiphar becomes furious and has Joseph thrown into prison. And I'm guessing if Joseph is in prison, he's thinking about all of the days before that have led up to this day. Everything that his brothers did that led him to this point. All of the past flooding back. But again, God is with Joseph. And he is flourishing in prison. He basically becomes the Andy Dufresne of Egypt's prison. I was hoping more of y'all would get that, right? Right? Okay, thank you. Thank you for the courtesy laugh for those of you who didn't get it. Go watch Shawshank Redemption, everyone, okay? He basically becomes number two, and he's in charge of everything that's happening in prison, right? Which is not what you want to write home to mom. Like, I'm doing really well in life, but I'm in prison, And he's suffering the consequences of his past, of what his brothers did. He had nothing, he did nothing to deserve it. He's left with the consequences. And then he meets the cupbearer of Pharaoh and the baker of Pharaoh because they've been thrown into prison. And they have a dream and they tell Joseph and Joseph said, oh, here's what's going to happen in three days you are going to be restored. He says to the, the cupbearer, you're going to be restored. You're going to go back into Pharaoh's house, and everything is going to be like it was. But to the baker, I have some bad news. In three days, you're going to be killed. And everything happens just the way Joseph said. And Joseph tells the cupbearer, when you go back to Pharaoh, remember me. Tell Pharaoh about me. See if you can get me out of prison. And everything unfolds just as he had said. But the cupbearer does not remember Joseph. Until one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And no one in Pharaoh's inner circle can tell Pharaoh what the dream means. And the cupbearer says, hey, I know a guy. And he has Joseph brought in from prison. Joseph listens to his dream. He says, okay, here's what's going to happen. For seven years, you're going to have abundance in Egypt. Everything is going to be great. You're going to have so much Food that you won't know what to do with. But in seven years' time, there's going to be a famine that follows. 
And so you need to take someone and put them in charge of all of the food in Egypt. And they need to ration some and set some aside and save it for the years of famine because it will carry Egypt through the famine. It will take care of us. And so Pharaoh says to Joseph, you're the guy. You're in charge of the federal food bank. It's all on you. And for seven years, there is abundance. Everything is going well. There is food in the land. And Joseph continues to set food aside every year. And they have a storehouse full. And then comes the time. Then comes the famine. And Israel is hit. Egypt is hit so hard by this famine. And they are suffering because they don't have food. And Joseph says, now is the time. We are going to open up the storehouses and we're going to give grain to people and provide for their needs and take care of them. And people begin to come from all over. People are coming to Egypt and Joseph is helping them and everything is running as planned. And then comes the day. This is the day, if you are Joseph, that you have been waiting for your entire life. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all its people. And so when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down with him, to him with their faces to the ground, As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies and have come to see where our land is unprotected. Can you imagine this day? Everything that has happened in the past. Your brothers hated you. They threatened to kill you. They sold you into slavery. And see, we can walk through the story of Joseph in 20 minutes. But it took him 13 years of pain and agony to live it out. And we know how the story ends, but he had to live through the pain of the past. You see, sometimes our sins add up against people, but other times they multiply. It wasn't just what they did. It's what they did caused him to endure. It is the pain that followed the past. It wasn't about just one event. It was about every event that happened from then on that began with one single event. Think back through Joseph's life. Think back through all of the offenses. Everything that happened to Joseph. Joseph was hated. 
He was doubted over his dream by his brother and his father. He was betrayed. by his brother. He was sold out and sold into slavery. He becomes a slave in a foreign land. He's abandoned by his family. A favorite child is now fatherless. Potiphar's wife sets him up. He is wrongfully accused. He's sent to prison. He's forgotten. And Joseph's life is changed forever because of what his brothers did. His life is transformed by the offenses. My guess is all of us have gone through those times. All of us can relate to Joseph's story. But like Joseph's story for us, it creates a prison of offense. And we like the distance it provides because it helps us to keep people at a distance. Because we know what they've done And to let go of what they have done means we have to be vulnerable. To let go of what they have done means we have to forgive. To let go of what they have done is really difficult when they aren't sorry. But to let go of what they have done means we have to step away from our past and not allow it to be what keeps people at a distance in our life. Because this prison cell is self-imposed. And the only person who holds the key is you. The only one who can let the prisoner go is you. And we don't want to go there because of what they did. Because they should pay for what they did. And if you read this story, you see an incredible amount of emotional turmoil. As Joseph says to his brothers, you're you're spies. And he imprisons them. And he sets up his youngest brother, Benjamin. 
And multiple times in the story, he excuses himself from the room or he sends everyone else and he cries because he is going through such torment and such agony because of what they did. Because to be out here in front of our past is vulnerable and it's scary. To remain here is safe because we can keep people at a distance. We can stay hidden behind what it is that they did. And we don't let people in. Because we know if we stay hidden in that prison, there's not as big of a chance that we're going to get hurt or that we're going to experience sorrow or that we're going to be anxious, or that we're going to find grief. But the problem is you don't get to choose which emotions you experience. You don't get to love without being hurt. You don't get joy without sorrow. You don't get security without anxiety. You don't get excitement without grief. You don't get to pick and choose. Which brings up really two super, super important questions. Is it possible to be forgiven of such a grievous sin? I mean, look at what the brothers have done and what they have caused in Joseph's life. Is it possible to forgive such a grievous sin? Because that is the question that you and I are faced with every day single day is forgiveness possible and have we lost our ability to imagine a world where forgiveness is a possibility joseph has been waiting for this day his entire life and now it's here and the question Joseph, what will you do? So after his brothers go home and come back, it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one left with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And when he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. And now, right, this is the day that you have the chance. And now, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because, I, because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. 
But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Without forgiveness, there is no hope of a future. There is only the promise of the endless cycle of pain. Because on the other side of forgiveness, a new world is formed that just moments before did not and could not exist. On the other side of forgiveness, you find resurrection. You find grace. You find mercy. But you also find the pain of letting go of the past. Because it's hard to do. See, forgiveness is not, and I think we, we have this idea that of a lot of things that forgiveness is not. It's not saying it didn't hurt. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not saying I don't remember. It's not saying there's no consequences. It's not saying the relationship is restored perfectly. It's not saying I will forget. But what forgiveness is, is saying I won't hold it over your head. I won't seek revenge. I won't respond in kind. It's over and done. But that is a pretty painful past. It's a past that's really difficult to let go of. And my guess is you have the past as well. You have people who have hurt you. People whose sin has caused you grief and turmoil. And you've had imaginary conversations about what you would say if you were in Joseph's position, if that day ever came and you were right there, then I would tell them. But the only one who is imprisoned is you. The only one who daily deals with the pain is you. So then how do we forgive? And how do we become people of forgiveness? And so I want to give you just a couple of ideas that maybe can help you in that process. First, we identify who hurt us and what they did. Who hurt you? And what did they do? They were my friend and they stabbed me in the back. I thought they were my friend and they stole from me. We were committed and our marriage was falling apart and they walked out the door. Who hurt you? And what did they do to you? And write it down. 
Because writing it down makes it much more real to our minds. Because we see it and we are forced to deal with it. Who hurt you and what did they do? Secondly, what do they owe you? My dad was never around and so he owes me my childhood. They left or they had an affair and that cost our marriage. He owes me a marriage. They stole this from me. What do they owe you? And get really specific. Maybe it's something you need to have an imaginary conversation with someone about. Maybe it's a conversation you need to write down. What do they owe you? And then third, cancel the debt. Canceling the debt does not make the past go away. But what you have to realize, whatever it is they owe you, they cannot pay you back. The neglect, the abuse, the affair, none of that can go away. None of that can really be made right. But for you and I, as we sit imprisoned by what they did, have to make the decision that we're willing to make ourselves vulnerable again and step out from behind the offenses. To step out and forgive as we have been forgiven. Is it possible? Is it possible as a follower of Jesus that you could let go of the past? Because in Joseph's story, it's quite possible the Bible could have just ended in Genesis with a family that was unwilling to make forgiveness a part of their life. It could have ended with a family feud. But Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers creates a new world. A new world that just moments before, as Joseph sat with that decision, what am I going to do on that day when I have the chance to stand face to face with my brothers? What am I going to do? What am I going to say? He has the chance to continue down the same path or to create a new world. Maybe the greatest gift you could give to the world today is letting go of the past so that you can be free to love again. To not live a life closed off and protected from people just to make sure it doesn't happen again. Forgiveness says we are willing to be vulnerable and we are willing to be hurt 
Because that is what love requires of us. Because that is what it looks like to love like Jesus loved. Because I can't imagine, I can't imagine a world with Jesus upon a cross who could look at the people who hung Him there and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How do we become people who can forgive like Jesus did? How can we become people that are formed in the ways of forgiveness? But here's the thing, and you need to realize this. In your faithfulness in following Jesus, you have no idea how far your faithfulness may reach into future generations. Joseph had no idea in that moment what it meant for the story of Israel. Joseph had no idea how important that moment was for the people of God in this world. That it was a single act of forgiveness that allowed a new day to dawn. And maybe today for you and your family, Maybe you and your friends, maybe you and your neighbors, maybe today is the possibility of a new day dawning. Because you're willing to do the hard work of forgiving as Jesus forgave. Father, we thank you so much for this time. And Father, we pray your presence be with us as we, Father, I know deal with some really difficult things some things that are difficult to forgive and past that we don't want to let go of. But Father, there is no future without forgiveness. Only the endless cycle of the painful past. Father, more, form us, make us more like Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.